Welcome to the good, the bad, and the sequel Q&A. My name's Doug. So, it's the end of our fourth annual Scary Spooky Sequel Month. I don't know if we could trademark that, but I like saying it. So, of course, especially with the release of Halloween Ends, a sequel that you might have an opinion. I have a different one. I'll wait and hold that until we cover it in the future, because I'd love to discuss that one with Jamie. But... For the Halloween that we chose, we spoke with the man that donned that William Shatner-esque mask. And I'm talking about Brad Laurie. Halloween Resurrection. So it was so great to connect with him. And I didn't have his email or anything. And I asked his good buddy Ken Kierzinger, who played Jason Voorhees in Freddy vs. Jason. Actually, side note, cool story about Brad almost getting that part. So that's pretty neat. But they go way back. So when I interviewed Ken, he mentioned, oh, I'm friends with Brad Laurie. He played Michael Myers. And so I thought about it. I'm like, man, we got to cover another Halloween. We covered already five, then four. And now this is eight. So, yeah, it was it was fun to 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 chat with them about donning, you know, dying the mask and playing an iconic role like on the Mount Rushmore of horror slashers. He's definitely up there. So that was pretty cool. And then how he got into the the stunt biz and really how Ken helped him out so much. He pulled him aside and said, hey, there's a place for you in this business. And they worked with each other over the years on like X-Files and also in X-Men United, X2, the one that we covered a while back. So, yeah, he has so many cool stories from his career, one that involves Jack Lemmon. So, yeah, Brad, so cool. It was a great conversation. It was like two buddies hanging out. It's like I knew him forever. But uh, I'm happy. I'm happy that I got to hang out with him for the next hour. So do me a favor. Before I start the interview, please subscribe, like, share, tell your friends. We have some amazing sequel reviews and interviews with folks that you grow up loving just like Jamie and I. So do that for me and then follow us on all social media at sequels only. And without further ado, stuntman, actor, and really cool dude, Brad Laurie. Before, uh I start everything, but this is great, man. I'm happy we connected. Yes, Doug. Thank you. That Ken is a great guy, man. Ken is a great guy. Ken cruising uh, here. I owe my life to. I um I don't let him spend a nickel whenever we're together. Doug, uh, my my cry instructor who became a world champion kickboxer sparring partner. And he uh, he became a stunt guy, and through him, I met Ken and all these guys. And um. But Ken's the one that sat me down and said, Brad, if you will get a, he- a headshot and a pager and a resume, I'll take you around and introduce you to everybody, which I did eight as quick as I humanly possible. And uh, Doug, uh, from there on, uh, yeah, Ken, 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 Tony's passed away, but Ken's still with me. And um, anyway, I owe him everything. I'm just going to see if I get a little more light on myself. There we go. That's a little bit. Oh, no problem. Look at that. Looking good. So what, what What are we talking, like early 90s? Is that the first time you started doing any of this? Well, I, I did my first stunt in like 84. Oh, I saw that. That's the journey of Natty Gann? Yes, yes. That's when you started doing all of it? The journey of Natty Gann. And um, uh, that was a fun little day. But, but, but Doug, as I, basically, I so looked up to my karate instructor and sensei. And when he got into Stunts Canada, I so looked up to these people that it never entered my head 
that I could ever be on the same level with these guys. They were all professional, this and that. And uh, Tony would show me some of the videos and the stuff they did, and it just looked like, wow. So, and I always thought I wanted to be an actor anyway and what, what have you, but um, that didn't pan out. And, and um, I, I guess Tony expected that I understood that the offer was there to, 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 uh, to follow in his footsteps. Let me just get this camera here if I wanted. And Doug, um, but Ken's the one that kind of cuffed me upside the head and said, hey, dude, there's a spot here for you. Martin up. So, uh, yeah, no. Um, and I, 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 I don't know if you know the story, Doug, but I got um, uh, interviewed by the producer of Jason versus Freddie. I think I was the first guy to talk because he had seen me in an interview um, as Michael Myers on set, uh, talking about how, why Michael Myers was the way he is, and he was he was quite impressed with how much thought I put into it. So he had me come in and interview with him. And he wanted me for the part, but when he introduced me to Ronnie. Uh, the director, Robbie said, I'm sorry, but you're just not tall enough. So then I was like, ah. if I don't get it, I want Ken to get it. Then he looked at a million guys and he came back to Ken and Ken got it. And <laughs> the rest is history. <laughs> that would have been, that would have been pretty wild. I'm happy Ken got it, obviously, but that would have been pretty wild. That if you would have played in back to back years, Michael Myers and Jason, that'd be pretty insane. I mean, uh, Doug, what that would have done for my uh, horror, horror film cachet. <laughs> But I'm glad that I'm glad that Kenny got it. If I didn't get it, because like I said, you know, I owe him everything. I owe him my film industry life, and um, we get to travel together and go to. We've been to Europe together now about three times, and we're supposed, nice. we're supposed to go this summer. And then the one show got canceled, so they pushed it to next year. And if that happens, great, you know. But um, but yeah, it's been it's been absolute. Tom Morgan is the only guy that ever played Jason and Freddie, or Jason and Michael. Oh, that is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Morgan did in four and five, yeah. right? Five, yeah. He did in uh, Friday five. <laughs> he got fired off of uh, four. Yeah, because they didn't like the way he fell. I shouldn't say he got fired. They got rid of half of those cast and crew halfway through the movie, and they never said to anybody why. Tom still scratched his head about that, but Tom's a great guy, and I, I, I just saw him uh, a few months ago down in Ontario, California. He's a great guy. Yeah, I think I think all you guys are like a different breed when it comes to stunt guys. Because when you watch the behind the scenes on part five, and he talks about, you know what, when the tractor was coming towards me, I really wanted it to hit me, and I'm like, F- nobody would think that. Well, you see, this is Doug, what I say. I mean, I got into stunts because that's where my nepotism was. And for, for what they hired me to do, it was fairly easy. You know, my athleticism saw me through. But yeah. I never understood these people. But instead of being the guy riding the horse who kisses the girl at the end of the scene, I want to be the guy that falls off the horse. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you got to be out of your mind. <laughs> so how did it all begin? What's What's your beginnings, Brad? Like, when you're growing up, like, at what point? Was this something that you even thought about? Well, um, I my I never really got along with my dad, Doug. And as a little boy, I always really uh, I loved the uh, two hours of escape in the theater, you know. And he kind of uh, fat. I remember I remember going to see Aristocrats, the Disney cartoon. I came out and yeah. But um, when I was six, I fell in love with Cato, uh, Hornet. Forgot all about Batman and Robin. I wanted to be that guy. And then, uh, seven years later, I, I went to my, see Fist of Fury, and I fell in love with Bruce Lee and the martial arts. 
And so I joined the local karate school. There was just the one school in the little town that I grew up in. And uh, the guy who, who ran most of the classes was a 17-year-old green belt named Tony Morelli. <laughs> he was in grade 12. <laughs> I just so looked up to him because he was such a cool guy. And he, you know, he was like four years older and, and he was just um, and the nicest guy. Uh, until you put the gloves on with him, and then he kicked your ass. But um, he's a great guy. And um, anyway, then he, he and I became good friends. Is uh, you know, it's a huge deal to be. And um, anyway, so from there, what, when did you think about doing that? So, like '85, what what leads up to the journey of Natty Gan? Like, how did you think about? Hey, I want to be that guy that. Tony hired me to do some background work, and I was on a movie called Runaway, a Tom Selleck, Gene Simmons film. And oh, yeah. That's where I met. That's where I, I don't know if that's where I met Ken, but I remember being in the background tent with him and this other guy that went on to become a very famous Canadian actor. But I was just doing odd jobs. I never got an education or a trade. You know, Doug, I just bounced around all over the place. And um, actually, in uh, it was so, so Tony would hire me from time to time or get other people to hire me, but Again, honestly, it just never entered my head that I was going to get into the union, that I was going to be a working stuntman because I just so looked up to these guys. And then in 19, uh, July of 1987, I took off for a year around the world because one of my life's ambitions was to see the world. So I, yeah. uh, in July of 1987, I saved up a couple bucks and I took off and I was gone for a year. And in that time, of course, a lot of people moved up in the past where I uh, you know, got, got into the business. And God bless Ken, because if he hadn't had that conversation with me that day after, Tony hired us all to be uh, uh, for two days of, uh, of a prison fight scene on a show called Street Justice with Carl Weathers. And uh, that was after the uh, second day, Ken says, hey, we're going for a beer. And that's when he sat me down and put it on me. So um, uh, uh, that was when uh, I, I realized, okay. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna be an actor. I, I didn't have the confidence to pursue that, and uh, I went. I hate to say this, but I wasn't doing anything else other than back once in a while, you know. <laughs> I remember being in Surrey, this place uh, outside of town here, and I'm 30 years old working as a doorman. I thought, man, you had better figure out what you're gonna do soon, now, man. And you're working here for 50 bucks a night. I mean, you're going nowhere. So when Kenny put that on me, I was like, okay. Uh, and then I guess he must have talked to Tony because Tony called me for the first time. You do know if you want to do this, there's a spot here for you, right? And I said, okay. And, uh, you know, he introduced me to everybody like he promised, Doug. And um, first time you get to work for a new coordinator, you go in that extra yard, you literally like you're auditioning for them, right? You got to do a good job. Yeah. I I never took on anything that I couldn't do. And um, I got I got lucky. I, I, I knew a guy. Right now, I'm in Jersey, in New Jersey. Jersey, yeah, I love Jersey. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I mean, listening to comedians and actors and whatnot. Jersey's always got this kind of, um, well, certain um, rap attitude. Yeah. (laughs) Well, no, I just, I just, I I just love all the. I just love it when actors that I I admire from Jersey and whatnot and. um, yeah, DeVito, Danny DeVito is a pretty uh, big time guy from Jersey. He, he, he always talks Jersey? about his Jersey roots. Wow. Yeah, he's from the shore. He actually knew Bruce Springsteen. They grew up in the same. Uh, no kidding. Town. Is yep. that right? 
All those guys, Steve, uh, Steven, uh, Steven Van Zant. I interviewed Steven Van Zant's brother, Billy, yep. who's a big time writer. Like he was in Jaws too, but he went on to write like a ton of sitcoms and stuff for years. But no, Steven and uh, Bruce, I think, met at a record store in the village in New York City. And then that's how they hit it off. No kidding. No yeah. Kidding. See, there you go. I never knew that. Um, yeah. <laughs> Steven Van Zandt is one of those guys. I don't understand how these musicians. Where do they? How did? Where do they have time to take acting lessons? That these guys make the transition to acting. Like the first- oh, you want to hear? You want to hear a good story? Yeah, I'll tell you a quick good story because I interviewed Billy, and Billy wrote plays too. So he wrote on. He was like the guy, the go-to guy for like somehow for African American comedies. He wrote on Martin. He wrote on the Waynes brothers. Like he was the showrunner to start all those shows in the nineties. Wow. And, and he wrote, well, he started a new, I think he really cut his teeth on a new heart show. That was like his first big one. But yeah, so he, he was writing plays and he, and he wrote a play that was kind of like his brother's character and he was going to be in it. But he said, you know what? That's my brother's world. I'm not going to play a musician. And his brother said, I'll never act. So they're golfing one day in Jersey. His brother gets a phone call and it's from the, I can't think of his name, the guy that did the Sopranos. And he goes, Oh, who was that, Steve? And he goes, Oh, it was uh, so and so. And then we had an audition for the Sopranos, this uh, mafia show. And then the rest is history. Unbelievable. Like, I, when I, the first time I saw um, Dwight Yoakam in Blood Simple. I was like, where did this guy learn to act? Like, he just walks yeah. up the set, and, and there's so many examples of that. I mean, I can't go through them all in my head right now, but these, these musicians. Now, then you watch, then you watch John Mellencamp. Yeah. <laughs> or, uh, or like, uh, another Jersey guy uh, with John Bon Jovi. <laughs> like, his few oh, movies they did. <laughs> Not a good actor, but no, uh, no, Billy, Van, yeah, Steve Van Zandt. And the funny thing about Steve Van Zandt, he was in the first ever Netflix show. Really? The first, did you ever watch, uh, it was basically the same thing as Sopranos. It was basically like, uh, My Blue Heaven with Steve Martin. It was that movie, but with Steven Van Zandt moved to Europe and he started doing mafia stuff in like, uh, it's snowy. I don't know if it's like Sweden. I think it's in Sweden. And he starts the mafia in Sweden. It's Norway. Oh, yeah, yeah. Norway. Yep. I'm half Norwegian. I got relatives. Okay. That's that's why I was watching it. I watched the first season and a half. And then, you know, after a while, the writing today, Doug, it all. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's the same rehash shit. But uh, I was, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> that's pretty funny. So, no. So. So the the time that you started doing this, it was like right during the same boom. Like you, did you always like set up shop like in British Columbia and Vancouver, or did you ever venture down to Hollywood? Um, Doug, you know, um, I worked once. Well, okay, I shouldn't miss this, but twice in the states. Um, uh, I, in 2010, I went to uh, Pennsylvania. I'd met this guy at a, con- a horror convention, and. We've written a script just for you, Brad. And uh, anyway, I did this uh, movie called Mr. Hush. And I didn't get paid. I, I paid for my own flight hotel uh, because I said, listen, 
Dave, I don't want, I said to the director, I don't want to get in trouble working in the States when it could be an American. Because uh, my dad lived in Washington State for 18 years, and when he moved back home, he went down one day to help his buddy move, and the <laughs> customs official wouldn't let him come down to help. He was just going to go and cut the guy's lawn. <laughs> so they're, you know, Homeland Security. Anyway, I talked to a couple of um, immigration lawyers. They said, Brad, from everything we've looked at, but Homeland Security might not have the same attitude, so don't tell them you're coming to us to work. Anyway, so got paid. And um, the other time I worked uh, down south was in, um, I forget what year that was, but I worked on the movie Shooter, the Mark Wahlberg film, for one day oh, yeah. in Philadelphia. And that had, I had all, Doug, I had all the paperwork and all this and that, but going, for me to go to the customs, the U.S. Customs, and tell them I'm coming down to work, I was really nervous. But when I showed him that paperwork, the guy all but shined my shoes. Like, he rolled out the head, here you go, oh, come right this poster. I couldn't believe it. It just it was a real eye-opener as to the power of Hollywood. Anyway, yeah. so I've, I've done my percent of my career has been in Vancouver. I worked in Toronto, Ontario, which is way east for two days. And I did a number of movies in Alberta, the next province over from us, but most of my work's been in Vancouver, and, you know, Doug, uh, when I was working steady, when there was 40 productions in town, the town was full. Last year, they had oh, yeah. 22 productions going on in Vancouver, B.C., and right near where I grew up, they're building, they've broken ground, they're building what is going to be, when it's finished, the largest soundstage in North America. Yeah. Wow. Who's building it? I'm not really sure which, which, which production company it is. I, um... I've been out on disability for like, uh, well, since September of '09. Oh wow! And because uh, I, you know, I dinged myself up, I got into two motorcycle accidents, and my back's my back's not in a good way. But um, I only do light duty stuff now. I just did three days on a uh, Percy Jackson TV series from the the takeoff. Really? I just did three days sitting in a, as a passenger on a bus. That's about as much as I do these days. Yeah, no, it's been, yeah. uh, No, Vancouver's booming. Like when Ken started, which was like kind of when you started, like he started, I think, 86, 87, around that time. And that's like when they, I I think people realize, like, holy shit, we could save a lot of money filming up here. And then even now, even more so, like you said, all the productions that are going on, like Hallmark, I think, since I know this is so wrong to say, but. It seems like everybody I interview from Vancouver knows each other. <laughs> and I not I'm not saying it's not that small, but like Gary Chalk. Yeah. Uh Ken Kierzinger. Yeah. I can't think of my uh God, what's the other guy's name too? Because Gary knew him really well because they worked on with each other on Fly Two. I can't think of it, but he does a ton of those Hallmark movies. And it's just uh yeah, it's so weird how that area just uh, like Gary called it the Hollywood of the Hollywood North. Hollywood. That's what he calls uh, Vancouver. What they referred to us yesterday. Yeah. Well, the thing is, Doug, you're a producer. You're on set there watching over your, uh, your, your flock Friday afternoon, but you go jump on your, on your, your, your private jet and you're home in time for dinner. It's only a two, uh, two and a half hour flight, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's significantly cheaper. First of all, the dollar is always cheaper. Of course, right now it's really cheap. And I remember reading somewhere that it was something like 70% cheaper to build a set in British Columbia than it was wow. in, in California, you know? And 
Back in the day, Doug, uh, we always used old abandoned warehouses that had um, been deserted for studios, and now they're building studios. That's a big difference. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, 15 years ago, they could have pulled up stakes and left down in like 48 hours. But now they're actually invested in 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 in, in, in uh, building building structures here. So that, that's a good sign as far as the industry staying here. That's awesome. So Brad, so when so obviously Ken had that talk with you over the beer and said, "Hey, you know there there's a place for you here." When was the point that you knew that you could do this forever? Because really, like I don't know when he had that talk with you, but from '94 on, you were on films all the time. It seems. Yeah, I think that was 1991 that he put that on me. And for the yeah. next two years, Doug, in the winter, I would go out to the prairies and work pipeline work because it paid big money and they were short jobs. And you'd come home and get on UI. <laughs> I remember I was the guy that used to see when I, when I started hanging out with Ken, when the, the first night we ever went out, he introduced us to this guy named Charles Andre who had this short breast cut hair. I said, boy, that's quite the do you got. He goes, yeah. I'm on a, I'm on I'm on a roll right now. I'm doubling Robert De Niro, and I almost fell over like this guy's doubling Robert De Niro. So the three of us we we used to refer to ourselves as the three Musketeers because for the next three days, unless we were working, the three of us were together morning, noon, and night. And um, <laughs> and uh, I, I I was the guy that sold them weed, right? I was their weed dealer back in the yeah. right now. Three, but anyway. Um, I should say it on the air, but anyway, uh, yeah. And then, because uh, Doug, you're right. It's like ninety three, ninety four was the last time I worked outside the film industry, and for the next fifteen years, I had such a career. I, I look back, I cannot believe it because I never really considered myself it. When I when I got in the business, Doug, if you were a good guy, a solid guy, they could count on to. You know, utilize gravity, gravity, and hit the X on action. But you know, um, what's happened in the past uh, ten, fifteen years is what I call the second placers have discovered film. The world class martial artists, the world class gymnasts that never made it onto the box of Wheaties, like they were, you know, like Jerry Seinfeld says, first place guy, lots of endorsements, millions of dollars, second place, never heard of you. The best. That's the best bit. That's my favorite special. Oh, yeah. That I'm telling you for the last time. Yes. Anyway, all these kids today, they're so talented. I mean, like the stuff that this one, the motorcycle guy, when I grew up, did some pretty stuff, but nothing like the kids could do today, you know. (laughs) They sit on their handlebars and do uh, stoppies while they're smoking a cigarette. Like, it's insane. The talent. And um, so, I mean, we've been left, left in the dust, so... But that's okay. That's that's evolution, right? So, but I think I think that might look good for some people to watch a movie. But I think that's what's great. That's what I love about like the eighties, nineties movies because you watch some of those like barroom fight scenes or a guy get thrown through the window. It not saying I'm not going to say it looks sloppy, but it looks real because it. I mean, it could be somebody that is a professional gymnast and pirouettes or front flips perfectly lands on their feet. Yes. It just doesn't look as good. But when you watch like a one of those, like I don't know, I I was thinking like Stone Cold, that movie with Brian Bosworth, and like that, the fights in that movie, and you're like, this looks raw. It just looks real. Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's a good point, Doug. Because I'll tell you, you go to set today, 
and you don't need to put any pads on because they rubberized everything. Like everything is like the safety now is through the roof. Yeah. So, uh, we've had, you know, we've had some, I don't know if that has anything to do with what happened on Deadpool two there uh, a few years ago, but, uh, yeah, the, the safety is over the top now. And, um, you know, since that accident, nobody's allowed to ride a motorcycle without a helmet anymore. Oh, wow. That was Deadpool too. Wow. Yeah. Heesh. I know you said, I know you, obviously you have to be honest with your stunt coordinator and be like, Hey, I can really do this. Cause you never want to like overextend. Was there ever a stunt that you did? And then you watch it on a playback or in the movies, you're like, Holy shit. Um, well, my biggest stunt uh, that I ever did Doug, was on a low budget, uh, show TV show called Mantis. It, oh, I know Mantis. Yeah. Scientist. He was a paraplegic. He was in a wheelchair. And he was the scientist by day and a crime fighter by night. And I can't remember how he, but I doubled the bad guy that had to jump out of this. Uh, actually, Ken was supposed to do it. Ken had been for the wardrobe and this and that, but because, and from the third story, it was an eight foot by eight foot window, which is no big deal when you're jumping down into an airbag. It's, it's, it, you know, you, you gotta be focused, but the floor below Doug, had a had a had a patio that jutted out about fifteen feet with a big concrete um, railings and and and, and um, so it was more of a long jump than a high jump. And on the day um, we we had rehearsed it, there was no glass. It was, a, it was during the day. It felt this nice ramp for me to run. I'm in my running shoes, jumping. But you had to jump that blue sky before you. You had to commit and jump before you saw the airbag. And then on the day when we had to shoot, it was at nighttime. So now it's all dark. All this, And my runway, half, the first half was covered in lighting flags. And, and the glare off the, off the thing, so you're, you're, you're jumping into black space. I got the wardrobe on. I got a gun rack on my back. Very last minute, and the, and the director's on the bullhorn. Now, okay, it's been 13 hours. We got to shoot something out there. He's got five cameras, and then wardrobe shows up with the boots that uh, they had fitted for Ken. And these were brand new motorcycle boots, knee-high motorcycle boots. They were hard as concrete, and they were two sizes too small. <laughs> I had to run along the edge of the runway to start because of these flags. So I knock one over and then jump. It's going to screw up the shot. We're going to have to shoot again. So, anyways, where I was clearing it by 12, 13 feet, the, the railing below. We're rehearsing. On the actual day we shot it, I only cleared by about four feet. But I, I <laughs> the only time in my life that the coordinator during the rehearsal takes me over, he says, "You were looking down." He says, "Now listen, Brad. If you fall short, because Doug, like even though they blow the window for you, a, a pain that heavy will it will still slows you down." There was a guy years ago that was jumping through a window, and they they blew the window late. He hit the window and fell into the sill and sliced his knee, all the ribbons. And um, oh my god! And, and this coordinator says, "Brad, if you get short and you end on the railing here, don't try to save yourself by by go, by by rolling in. Continue rolling out onto the boxes." And he says, "I don't think it'll kill you, but you're going to be." <laughs> Do you have any allergies we should know about? That's the only time I've ever had that sort of brief, brief talk. And um, anyway. Uh, that really well. The director, who's 
one of my favorite guys in the world. He's gone now. His name's Kim Manners. Um, second season of Breaking Bad at the end of one of the Doug had said in loving memory of our friend Kim Manners and brought me to tears. But anyway, Kim said, Brad, that was the most exciting stunt I've ever had the privilege to direct. And when he cut it for the actual show, Doug, I don't know how to describe it, but when, when the guy, when you see the guy run and jump out the window from the inside and then he cut to the outside, he showed the guy coming through the window once, twice, three times, four times. So he kept going back showing it. He showed four of the five camera angles because he was so, I guess, because he was so happy with it. Anyway, you know, that, that flow of the scene, I've never seen, I've never seen that done before, that, that the scene disrupted. Like, I want to keep it. Yeah. Anyway, I was, uh, I'm very pleased with that. And um, that was the one stunt, though, where I was like, I just had to, I had to suck it up to breath and just, just have faith in, in in the rehearsal technique and all that, right? So, anyway. <laughs> yeah, and then like we talked about, like uh, you you obviously were working so busy ninety four on or ninety three ninety four, and like a lot of cool movies. But then it seemed like right at two thousand, it seemed like you were doing like more studio movies. Obviously, you did like wrongfully wrongfully accused, cool movie, Dudley Do Right. I love watching that as a kid. Brendan Fraser's awesome. But then 2000s, it's like, whoa, the sixth day, Freddy got fingered. Like, what are some of the things you did? Like, Freddy got fingered is a funny movie to me. What were some of the things you did on that? <laughs> Freddy got fingered. Did you actually watch that thing? Yeah. Doug, I've never seen it, but I was doubling um, Harlan Williams. And I was wearing a cast on my uh, leg. And it was only an insert, insert shot, I think, of um, Rick Torn kicking me in the shin. But I also, I also was driving a car that slid kind of sideways through the intersection after they went through in their weird mobile. But I've never seen the movie, so that was a weird that was a weird movie. But I I, I loved Dublin Harlan Williams because I think he's great. I got to meet Rip Torn, who I love. Oh yeah, Green. So wow. So do you car you do car stuff too? Did you do a lot of car stunts? Well, as a stunt guy, Doug, you should be able to ride a motorcycle. As much physical kind of action as you can possibly add to your resume, the more you can do, the more you work, right? You know, and um, whether it's motorcycles, ATMs, um, trapeze work, anything, any kind of physical movement, uh, cars, um, you know, uh, I, I got into the business because I was the big guy who played the bad guy that got beat up by the little, the little hero, right? Yeah, but you know, I was brought to my attention by Charles and Ken that you need to, you need to expand your, uh, your resume as far as your abilities. You know, your your your, your skills. Did you do burns at all? Any of your stunts? You ever do burns? I only ever did. I never got to do a full burn. There's a, there's a handful of things I never got to do that I, I I wish I had done just once, even to say I did them as a stunt guy. But uh, I never did a full burn. But I did do an arm burn, and I. I did an arm burn doubling um, Winchester from at Mash. Um, whatever, what's his name? Oh, I can't. Was that Alan Alda? No, right? No, not Alan Alda. Winchester. Um, anyway, God, I shouldn't have. He's got. Yeah, yeah. That's why I can never remember him. Anyway, I did an arm burn <laughs> on a show called Poltergeist, and I also on oh. on Stargate SG One. <laughs> I was running the soldier, and they blew this um, explosion off just as I was running by it. 
and my whole back got lit on fire. I didn't know it. I was running because I was still on in, in the frame. But when I got to the end of the thing, Brad, Brad, you're on fire, so I had to jump in the, I had to go on my back and they, they were throwing gravel in my eyes. I don't know what that did, but anyway. <laughs> it's a crazy business, Doug. It is. No, I, I remember just Ken telling me, like, Ken told me he had this bag that had everything in it. He's like, I had this bag to bring out auditions and it had, like, everything you could need because you had to be ready, like, for whatever move. Because within a day, you could work on three or four things. Yeah, back in the day, we did double headers, which are always unnerving because one coordinator, yeah. he could at you, why aren't you here and whatnot. But, um, you know, you always got the heads up pretty much as to what, if it was anything out of the ordinary, if, if it was if it was something you needed more than your elbows and your back, back pad and your knees, they would tell you, you know, like you had to bring your Nomex and your gel and all this and that, but uh, for burns and what have you, so. So what was the audition process to like become Michael Myers? Is that a long audition? Because it seems like. Oh, went on forever. <laughs> How long? I had just done a show called Los Luchadors for Fox. It was a low budget kid show. And these guys were Mexican wrestlers by day and crime fighters by night. The last five episodes, because my coordinator left, my coordinator who hired me left after eight, eight episodes and left me with the show. So now I got two contracts and I'm making big cake. Okay. But we do the first team for the first season, and as a professional courtesy, one of the ADs went interview with the Halloween people, and in that interview, they mentioned to him they weren't sure who was going to be there. In the old days, when the American coordinator came up, they would always match him with a Canadian coordinator to fetch coffee and tell him who's who in the zoo, right? But um, so they said they didn't know who their American, uh, the Canadian step coordinator was going to be, and he, they, they, they weren't sure who they were going to hire to be Michael Myers. And so this guy named Brian Knight says, well, you should, you know, you should talk to this Padre. I just worked with him on this show. He's uh, just started coordinating. He's a great guy, blah, blah, blah. So I'm driving my car. I get this phone call. It's Tracy Long, the production manager. He says, Brad, we're looking. And I thought, Doug, that she said they're looking for a stunt double for, for Michael Myers. Could you come? She says, how tall are you? I says, I'm six foot and a half. Oh, perfect. Can you come in tomorrow to meet me? Exactly. I thought, Michael Myers is doing a horror film. I'm thinking of Austin Powers, right? <laughs> His career's gone in the toilet. So, I go in there the next day, and Doug, literally everybody was there. They hired everybody. It was almost like an afterthought. Oh, yeah, we better hire somebody to transport the mask from A to B on set. Anyway, I do the walk for the director a few times, and um, and um, and, uh, and the producer says, okay. And he turns to the producer and says, yeah, he'll be fine. And the producer says, uh, you know, Brad? You're the first guy we've looked at, and of course we have to consider other people, but if we do go with you, we're going to have to probably fly you down to L.A. to cast your head to build the mask around, you know? And I said, wait, 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 i got to go all the way to L.A. to double some homie actor? And they said, you're going to double the guy, you're going to be the guy. And that's when the actor and he went, and the truth is, Doug, I've never been a horror fan. When I was 19, I was dating his pair of tits, and she only loved horror films, so that's all we saw for like two years. And then when we broke up, I was heartbroken, but I was like, I never have to watch a horror film again. And the next week, everybody's talking about this Halloween movie, goddammit. And so my cousin said she liked it, so I ended up renting it one day. And halfway through, I think, this is an excellent movie. It's not overly bloody, gory, or violent, but I'm on the edge of my seat. This guy's so creepy. So when they offered me that job, Doug, I passed on going back to Los Luchadors, which was a good move. My buddy Dean took it. They did one episode, second episode, in the middle of the third episode, the producers came on set and pulled the plug and said, uh, I we are today having this chat. If I was on Lost Luchadors, we wouldn't be talking about this. <laughs> so I, I took the 
um, it was the closest the stunt guy comes to being a movie star. You know, I remember sitting in my trailer because there's just a little cubby hole that you give the stunt guys, and all the actors had the big trailers and whatnot. And one of the kids was walking by and saw me with the door open and said, Brad, what are you doing in this little hole? I said, well, this is my room. Oh, no, you're the star of the show. I said, no, no, the mask is the star of the show. I just moved out. You be quiet. I didn't want to ruffle any feathers. But anyway, Doug, I, you know, I, 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 I do these conventions every once in a while. I make new friends all over the world. Ken and I have been to Europe together three times. I've been to Europe seven times on the convention dime. We were supposed to. That's awesome. But, um, we were supposed to go this summer. We were supposed to go to Amsterdam and then Birmingham, England the next weekend. But Amsterdam got canceled. So our agent said, you guys want to go to Birmingham for a two or three days? We said, you know what? We're, we're too old to go for a weekend. If it isn't a doubleheader, we're not going. So we both passed on it. So hopefully, we, But they said they would bring us back next year. So we'll see if that happens. Yeah. No. So, so for... So on Halloween Resurrection, one of the coolest things, I'm sure you never watched the behind the scenes on it, right? I have actually watched the, the behind the scenes because uh, the, the the scene that I played a um, fire cop inspector or whatever got cut where I was actually uh-huh. not. But what were you going to ask me? No, there was a line in it. So you were like dating a girl at the time. Yeah. I don't know how long it lasts after that, but you said Jamie Lee Curtis came over and planted one on you. Well, um, when I saw that, uh, <laughs> I mentioned it to Donna Keegan, and Jamie's double, and Donna said, oh, Jamie will never shoot that scene the way it's written. So I never thought to mention it to my girlfriend, but the day the day of, uh, my girlfriend said she needed my truck, so she came to work with me, and I unloaded my stunt bags uh, so she could take the truck to go, to go about her day. Just then, Jamie just happened to be there. She walk, runs up. I think I think that this is how we should shoot the scene. She grabs me, gives me, plants one on me right in front of my girlfriend. So when I got home, I didn't really kiss butt because she was quite upset. You never told me you're going to be kissing Jamie Lee Curtis. I go, I, I, I never thought they were going <laughs> to. So I know that didn't last long, but not because of that. No, I know. No, just it was funny, like the way you told that story, like in the little snippet. Because I think one thing that I think one thing that with that movie that is so like I think ahead of its time was the was the cameras on all the actors and all those scenes because on that behind the scenes documentary they have all of that footage that they didn't use, yeah. but actual like legit footage, not like any like mistakes or anything. So it continually, you're watching the movie through the cameras that were on the actor's uh, ears, yeah. which I think was like so ahead of its time. So for you, like being that role of Michael Myers, was there any stunts that you weren't allowed to do? Like Ken was pissed off because he wasn't allowed to do like the burn scene in the cornfield and an, an underwater scene because they were like, well, if something happens to you, then you can't be Jason for the other parts. Was there any that you weren't allowed to do? Yeah, he suggested he wasn't happy being able to do those because so he wanted to win the award he wanted to oh, win like okay, some man okay. of the year well, he never, that's he's right. never mentioned that to me and i happen to know for a fact that there was certain <laughs> scenes he just go and get my stunt double to shoot that scene was, <laughs> oh yeah he was using the guy's stunt double he's also using him as a photo double because he's a younger version of ken a guy named glenn innes he, he looked exactly like ken only he's a couple years younger, years younger anyway no um doug i did everything the only Scene in that movie that's not me as Michael Myers 
is the very end when the when the coroner opens the bag, the body bag, and his eyes pop open. We shot a couple different endings in Vancouver, but the test audiences didn't like them. They wanted the cliche ending. It's so obvious, but they shot that in New York. So that that guy that popped open his eyes that wasn't me. But everything. No, it wasn't you. Okay. And um, the stunt going through the window when Buster Rhymes kicked me was tricky because that window was only wide enough for my shoulders, and I had to run backwards three steps to get through the window. So a couple of the first takes, the rehearsals, I was catching my shoulder and through the window, and they didn't want that. So. But that was the one gag, and I had the camera on me the whole time, so you actually see the camera kind of in front, kind of spinning. So that's awesome. Do you have a, it seemed like you had a lot of fun doing that movie because in one of the behind the scenes featurettes, it's a scene with uh, when I can't remember their name, Sean Patrick, uh, forget his third name, but him and the girl are like trying to get out of the window, and you have the one guy by the head, but yeah. it's like they're only filming really they're the camera's like on them too. So you're like kind of messing around with him, like kind of like toying with his head while holding it. Oh, we, uh, that, uh, Ian, Ian Thomas, whatever his name was, he and I really bonded because he never really knew his oh, cool. that well. I was like a big brother to him. And, uh, I can't remember what I said behind the mask when we were rehearsing, but he had such a hard time not laughing for the longest time. He, and, and I had the same problem when we were rehearsing the scene where Buster dresses Michael, follows me through the living room, and he goes... I love that. Right. During the rehearsals, I could not hold it together. He was so funny. No, we had a lot of fun on that show. Um, I just loved everybody. Apparently, uh, Buster was a little tardy getting to set, but I never saw any of that. He gave me a giant, very authentic bear hug every morning in the trailer, and um, I just got along with all the kids, and... Uh, uh, it's been really kind of. Whenever I see them today, you know, they, uh, where their careers have gone, it's always it's always nice to see. And um, I, I hope one day we have a reunion. Um, it should suit. Well, you should have done it this year, right? This yeah. is twenty years. August August two thousand two, it came out. <laughs> but um, I just wish them all the best. I mean, Katie Sackoff, I love to death. She made us all these uh, uh, with her own hands. She made these. Uh, uh, Coffee travel mugs that I misplaced mine. I just me because uh, I have told people many times that when I wake up and the house is on fire and I got to jump out the window naked, the three things I'm going to have on me, pardon me, is my C, my Omega Seamaster watch, my Muhammad Ali autograph, and my Katie Sackoff resurrection travel coffee mug. So, um, yeah. That's awesome, man. No, I think it's so cool the way they did the set for that movie. Oh, like doing that. And that's big time to do it like in to basically the whole movie is like sort of artificial. Obviously, the exterior shots that they did somewhere that like the way they made it look yeah. like it was in a street. That's ahead of its time. 2002. Well, Unbelievable. That, that, Doug, I'm telling you, when you know the movie um, um, Purple Rose of Cairo? Where, Ted, oh, yeah. where, Ted, where the actor walked out of the screen. That's how I felt when we did. We, we went to the set for the first time, walking up to the Myers house and walking into the house. I felt like we walked through the screen and we were now in the movie. It was such, uh, they did such a fantastic job. Uh, it just blew me away. Did you keep anything from that movie? 
I did not, Doug. I know that uh, some of the older guys told tell stories of <laughs> bringing things home, but I didn't. And but my first convention in ninety in two thousand um, <laughs> four, I think it was four or five. Malik Akkad told me that he would give me one of the masks that I wore in the movie, and I never followed up because I didn't realize what what that actually meant. It was suggested to me that an autographed mask worn in the movie might be worth five grand. Well, they just auctioned one off in England that was one of the three that I wore, and uh, they got fifty thousand English <laughs> fifty wow English that's like eighty three thousand Canadian dollars. Okay. Wow! So yeah. Do you ever keep anything from any of your movies? Like early on, did you have the wherewithal to be like, hey, let me take a script or let me take. No, I bought clothes from set because, you know, at the end of the movie, sometimes they're really stuck. They get, uh, costumes get stuck with a bunch of clothes they're supposed to get rid of. And, um, but no, I've never, I've never, um, my buddy Tony, the guy I was telling you about that's passed away, he, uh, he took a cop hat from a show once. Which I, thought was, I was shocked. He's not a thief. He goes, ah, they got tons of the. Yeah, but that way. Anyway, no, I've never, uh, I've never stole from that. Yeah. <laughs> no, but there's just like a, it's so cool that all these things you worked on. And it's so cool you had that relationship with Ken because you worked with him so many times around here, like X Men United. <laughs> X Men and uh, and Street Justice and X Files, which he used to coordinate. Oh I yeah, did, I did bring home the uh, rubber prosthetic from the sixth day that they used to make the stunt double look more like Arnold Schwarzenegger. They oh, wow! Me. They gave that to me. Yeah, yeah, because they had a bunch of them. Of course, they had, I mean, every day they were doing this, you know, doing the. So I had that, but it's, I don't know where it is today. I threw that away. You know, you, you think these uh, things are going to keep coming, but now that I'm older, I wish I had a, I wish I had taken a lot more pictures on set. Mind you, I grew up in an era before cell phones, so, um, but these kids today, I hope they're taking lots of pictures, so. I'm sure they are. No, it's like one of those things you don't know what to keep or what not to. I know a lot of movies give like parting gifts. They'll give like a t-shirt or a hat. Like I interviewed this guy, Gregory S. Cummings, like. He, he, while we were doing the interview, he was like, Oh, let me show you. And he like opened a drawer and he had like a shirt. He was in cliffhanger. He played one of the bad guys in cliffhanger. And he's like, look at this shirt. That, and it was like this cool, funky jacket that like Stallone got for the crew and cast. So like those things are cool. Like to have one day, what are you going to do with it? Maybe you'll sell it or you have a family member that would want to keep it, but it's still something cool to have. Well, I'll tell you a story quickly about Dick, Dick Warlock, who I thought Halloween 2 was one of the best sequels I've ever seen. Anyway, Dick, um, Dick, hung up, Dick took home a mask, the overall, I think a knife, and the boots. Yeah, the, wow. And uh, how many years after the fact, when he met this guy that said, hey, I'd like to buy that whole set from you for $15,000. They agree on that on, on the price. He gave Dick five grand as a as a down payment, and he gave Dick about four phone numbers to keep in touch with the guy. Well, I forget exactly how long it was, but that, it was a ridiculously long time. He he he, he didn't hear from the guy for over I think a decade. But he put money in a safe, and he and he and he he never ever banked it or or spent it, and. 
and like something like twelve years later, this guy got a hold of Doug and, and said, "Hey, uh, I got the rest of the money," and so he took the other ten grand and gave gave the outfit. But that's like Dick. Dick and I are very close, and uh, holy shit! And I just thought that was such a, such an honorable thing, so much integrity that he would hang on to that money the whole time. So when you when you auditioned for it, last question about Halloween because I know you said you dated that uh, that girl for a couple of years and watched a lot of horror. How did you like? How do you go to figure out how you're going to walk and like your movements and like the head turn? Is that from watching other movies, just being inspired and putting your own spin on it? I watched all. I watched all the Halloweens on a VCR, fast forwarding to the Michael Myers scenes. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna bite my tongue on what I think are certain performances, okay? But I always thought the scene where, um, and, and I know, I, and I am 99% certain this was Nick Castle, walking from the house across the street towards Jamie Lee at the end when she had the two kids she was babysitting and he was coming after her. Uh, that is the walk that I tried to copy. I, I, I watched one and two a lot, but I, I, I kept watching Dick or Nick Castle over and because to me, Nick Castle's Michael Myers. Yeah. And I tried to copy and the way Rick Rosenthal described it was, Brad, it's as if the legs and hips are transporting the upper body. The upper body doesn't move. It's just the legs that move. It's just, it's just a creepy, creepy um, methodical uh, gait, you know, and um, so that's what I tried to do. And I was nervous. You know, I'd never been the only one that they're pointing the camera. Unfortunately, the mask helped me a lot. Um, but because uh, Rick was constantly reminding me, Brad, slower, slower, slower. It'll take your time. And he was great. He was great. To no, no, no. You're right. Like Nick Castle. And I just think the head turn, like what he did, obviously, when you have that first blueprint to go with. And that's what everybody's going to try to emulate or put their own spin on. But I think when he sticks Bob, when he has, when he sticks Bob in the kitchen and just his head turn to almost make it because Michael Myers is kind of like such an enigma as a character. I think a lot of obviously the slashers are like Freddie, you like, you know why they do it. But with Michael Myers, I guess, cause he, I don't know him and Jason just don't say anything. They're silent. Doug, when they interviewed me on set and asked me why Michael Myers is the way he is, as best I can remember, I said, he's like a man-child. He doesn't understand violence, and he isn't intentionally harming people. He He's like a cat playing with a mouse, and when it stops playing and it's dead, that's why he tilts his head. He's trying to figure out why the mouse doesn't want to play anymore. That's good. That's what I worked with when I, when I played him, and... Um, I think that's what the producer on Freddie on uh, Jason uh, admired so much because he just he just thought you know anyway he appreciated what I what I what I the thought that I put into it. that's what I was working with was he's a man child that's his idea of a play is murder but he doesn't understand death and he, and he is um, he is possessed by a, a, a you know a demon because this is why he's so extra strong and what have you yeah anyway. No, I think it's so cool when it comes to horror. And I know obviously you have your feelings towards it, and obviously you're you're uh, you played an iconic role in in the history of horror, like the Mount Rushmore of like horror slashers. You played one of them. I think that's what's so cool about horror. 
Like I interviewed the actress that was the final girl in part five, Melanie Kinnaman. Oh yeah. And so, so she had this, she was in a movie that didn't got, it got panned real hard because it wasn't spoiler alert. It wasn't Jason. It was the ambulance driver. So, but still it's so funny when it comes to horror, if it's any other genre, if the movie isn't good or people don't like it, guess what? It's going to just collect dust. But for some reason, when it comes to a horror movie, it's going to get watched no matter what, like every year, no matter what I'll watch all the Halloweens. Like I, even though I, I despise five, it, like, and I don't like six. The only reason I don't like five is because I love four. Like I think four sequel wise is so crafty the way Michael's played by Tom, which the parts that Tom played, I know I'm trying to think of the guy who played, uh, George Wilbur. George Wilbur and the other parts of it. I know there's just something about that movie and how great it was. And the fact that in five, they're basically like, you know, all the stuff you loved. Well, we're going to get, we're going to end all of that. Yeah. Well, I, Doug, I'll tell you, I, I, like I said, I said this a million times. I'm not a big fan of horror movies, but I'm a big fan of horror fans. They're so loyal to their genre. And I mean, yeah, I'm one of the personalities in the business, but they give you the shirt off their back. They're just the nicest people. I don't get it. They all want to see blood, guts, and gore, gore, but they're just the sweetest human beings that you ever So I, I just I just love going to the conventions and you make new friends and show, you know, and meet new people and people telling you how far they've come to get your honor. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's I think it's movie making. I think a lot of people that love horror, I think it's just the fact they love movie making and like practical effects and stunts. Like they love seeing something that makes them feel a little uneasy and almost makes you feel like it's real. But obviously, you know, it's not because it's a movie, but just some of the stuff they can do like effects wise, like even in, uh, in 2002, I don't know how much of that seat was CGI. Didn't look like a lot of it was when you pierce the, the cameraman in like the, the first kill in the house, when you pierce him with the, with that piece that I don't know if that's on a lot of tripods. I don't know if that's on my tripod, but when you pierce that guy, it looks legit. Like uh, if you if you started CGI in horror films, the horror audience would die off. I oh, I know. The, those are the ones that don't make yeah. it. You can tell when it's yeah. CGI. Yeah. Like yeah, the one where I'm hanging in the wires and I'm all you know I'm burning up and all that. That was a mannequin, but that wasn't CGI. That was actual flame. Wow. And so um, and I'm proud of that. Uh, all the studs were real. There was. It was next to those. I don't think there was any CGI real movie. I don't think the horror fans would stand for it. They started CGI and everything. Anyway, no. So let's talk. So before I let you go, because this has been so much fun, man. You're such a character and such a great guy. Let's talk about like your acting wise. Is there any acting like that you did over the years that you really liked? I think it was pretty cool that you're in. You're in X two. You're in the flash forward scene or the flashback scene. Uh, Doug, I was uh, for half a second. I was doubling. Uh, Still pretty cool. Brian Cox is a younger man. Uh, forget yeah. his name. I was also one of the uh, SWAT guys, but we we're all covered in all that stuff. You never know one to the other. But um, yeah, working on X Men was a big deal. Um, but my uh, my proudest acting gig there was two, um, and I have them on a demo reel. I got to get them on IMDb, but. Uh, I, I, I played a firefighter on um, X-Files, and I had a very quick, short scene with David Duchovny, 
But I'm proud of it because it's because it just it, the beats are all there. And I just remember how incredibly nervous I was. I was able to pull yeah. the feet up. I was literally done looking for a hole in the ground. We were outside. I was looking for somewhere where I could fall in the... I wanted to break my leg, do anything. I didn't have to shoot the seat. <laughs> um, and, but I watched that scene today, and I, and I just go like, wow, you actually pulled it off. Get scared as you were. And I was also... um, I, I, I was the dream version of this girl's father who was a bank robber on a, a TV show called um, um, The Marshal or Marshall? Was it called Marshall? With, um, oh, I forget the actor's name. He's really, really good. He was, um, anyway. The Marshal. Let's see uh, who was in it. Um, it looks familiar. Oh, Jeff Fahey. Jeff Fahey. Thank you. Yeah. And, um, uh, I, I was uh, this girl's father had been going around killing people and robbing banks, and she had this sort of James Dean vision of him. And in the end of the episode, she meets him. He's just a scumbag. But I was the first person with the rolled up T-shirt, you know, and the hair and all that. Anyway, so um, even though I didn't have any lines, um, it showed him robbing banks and whatnot. It was a lot of fun. It was a good show too. Um, oh, I also well. The most starstruck I've ever been, Doug. I played um, a sort of a farmhand. There's two of us in, in a diner, uh, and we sort of accost, or we, we come on to um, this young woman that Jack Lemon is traveling with. There's a TV movie called The Long Way Home. And as a kid, my dad was a big fan of uh, Jack Lemon and the movie uh, The Apartment, in particular, oh, The Outer Tower. Oh, yeah. And um, so I was on set with Mr. Lemon, and I was just. But because I had dialogue, I felt compelled. So he was just by himself, and I went up and I said, "Mr. Lemon, I don't normally do this. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I, I'm Brad. I'm playing so and so, uh, and you know, you know." And he shook his hand and whatnot. And um, and then when I get maced in the face, I spin and crash into this table down to the ground and everything <laughs> over and whatnot. And as soon as they called cut, Jack Lemon came to help me up. He tapped me on the back. Oh, that was great! That was great job. You know, and I just thought, wow, this is one of the one of the guys from the golden era of Hollywood, and, he, and he's tapping me on the back and giving me kudos. So that was a big deal to me. Oh, my God. That's so cool. Now, I always ask people this question. This has been so much fun. Uh, well, if you weren't doing this, obviously you were doing the bouncing, you were working on the pipeline. Was there anything like any other careers when you were younger? Because I know you didn't have, you were doing the martial arts, so you didn't have like an inkling of this happening, like being in Hollywood for. You know, 25 plus years? Uh, Doug, I honestly asked myself that, and people asked me, you know, if I had, if it wasn't for Ken Kersinger, I can't imagine where I'd be today. I would suggest that I'd probably be in prison. I was never much on working nine to five, you know, and uh, I probably, I probably would have gotten into some, not, not overly, I mean, back, back, well, back when we were talking, I knew an awful lot of guys that were growing with marijuana illegally, and I probably would have gone yeah. to that trade. And I maybe should say that out loud, but that's the truth. But where I ended up, boy, that that, that you got to throw a rubber ball and let it ricochet, and, and where that's what it would have been, man. <laughs> Brad, this has been awesome, man. Hey, anytime you're in a convention, because we do a lot of them in Jersey. Have you ever been to one in Jersey? I've been to Cherry Hill. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, that's not too far back. from me. I want to come back and see my buddy Eugene. So, Doug, I need you to email me your uh, mailing address because I want to send you an autographed picture. Oh, I'd love that. Yeah, for sure, man. Thank you for that. What headshot is it? Is it wh- what kind of photos do you have? I've got a picture of me as Michael Myers in front of the, the Myers house with the knife, and then the background is the, the jack o' lantern. Not that particular. I've got like a dozen different shots, but that is that's, that's cool. My idea. I said to the photographer, I want to stand in front of the house with the knife, and I want to see the and uh, so I've got some that are mounted on like foam, so you just have to take a piece of tape, stick it to your wall. You can be in the back. I appreciate. Oh, dude, look, look at this really cool one. I don't know if, uh, so we, we, me and my buddy, ever, are you a friend of like Charles Bronson? I work with Charles Bronson in a movie, a mem- movie that we called Seawolf. Oh, no way. Yeah. Gary Chalk worked on that movie. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, so tell me about, uh, Charles, you worked with him? Well, not directly with him, but he was the star of the show and we all, uh, yeah. I can't even remember what I did. I think I fell off a railing into the water in that show. Um, but Alex Green, the founder of Studs Canada, was, had doubled Charles Bronson on a couple of things. And, uh, so he was good friends with Charlie. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you got there? That's cool. So we did, me and this kid I randomly met, he's, he actually works uh, for one of the radio stations in New York, but we met each other on Twitter. He was a big Bronson fan. So I interviewed a couple of uh, uh, one of the bad guys from uh, Death Wish Three. It's like we're growing up. My dad showed me these movies. Like I, I have two kids now. I just had a son a few months ago. I'm telling you, Brad, I could not imagine showing my kids the stuff my dad would show me. He would be, we'd be watching Death Wish, and I was like six or seven years old, seeing the the graphic scenes, and him be like, "Let's get this guy. Yeah, get that bad guy." <laughs> Your dad was so- the world at a young age, Doug. <laughs> he was but no so we watched death wish 3 was always on channel 11 in new york and so we interviewed uh this guy joe gonzalez who was in he played uh charlie's right hand man in oh, death right. wish 3 like for the last sequence so he sent me this photo and then at, like a few months later this kid uh this kid chris who has like a bronson twitter account he like blindly reached out to a bunch of people from the movie. So we did a reunion on what would have been Bronson's 100th birthday with Alex winter from, you know, Bill and Ted, he was in death wish three Kirk Taylor. And this guy, Tony Spiridakis who ended up like doing a bunch of stuff, but he was one of the bad guys in that movie too. So no, it's so cool from this. And I would love to hang that on my wall. So yeah, I'll send you my address, man. I appreciate it. Please do. And uh, send me your digits. And uh, the next time I'm in Jersey, I'll look you up. Hell yeah, man. I would love that. Doug, I appreciate it. Man, wasn't Brad great? So cool how nice he was at the end because we do video interviews. So if you ever want to watch those, they're on our website or our YouTube channel. Just search Good, Bad, and Sequel or go to sequelsonly.com and you can choose what you want to watch. And uh, yeah, so he looked at my background. I have a few like bunch of VHS of sequels and he saw like a space on the wall. He's like, hey, send me your address and I'll send you autograph photo. So how cool is that? Autograph photo of him in front of that cool prefab Michael Myers house that they built in the studio, which uh, yeah, I cannot wait to talk that movie with uh, Jamie. It's going to be fun, especially after the last one that came out. Uh, my opinions changed watching this again and talking to Brad. And uh, yeah, it was cool really going back in time because I believe I saw this in the movie theater. So uh, yeah, so 
your homework, watch Halloween Resurrection. I think it's on Paramount Plus. I'm sure you can rent it for a few bucks somewhere. And don't forget to review, rate, share our podcast. Follow us on all social media at Sequels Only. And don't forget to check out our website, SequelsOnly.com. Good night. Good night, guys.